0: Well, welcome to Spark Church. We are in the book of Exodus. Join me as we pray and get started. Father, thank you, Lord, so much for this opportunity to come together to worship, to study, um, to be with one another, and to focus in our hearts and our minds on your word. We pray right now, Lord, that you would um, just bless the words coming out of my mouth, that they would be useful for building up our hearts and that they would focus our attention on you. And we ask right now that you would continue just to bless each one of us as we try to draw closer to you through a study of your text. We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, our text today is from Exodus chapter 3 all the way through chapter 4. I know you think we're going just verse by verse, which is sort of true. But we're going to try to chunk through a whole bunch. The text will be up online, up on the screen for us today, but there's also Bibles in the back. If anyone would like a Bible, raise your hand, and I'm sure someone will be happy to pass them forward. Or you can open up your smartphone, and I won't believe that you're checking Facebook. Okay, so we're going to start right there in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. And as I do a quick introduction, you'll remember that we are in the midst of the burning bush episode. That bush that is burning but is not consumed. And last week, Kevin spoke about the name. The name that God uses to introduce ourselves, himself to us, to Moses specifically in that moment. So we're going to dive on into this text and we're going to look specifically at Moses' response and the dialogue between Moses and God. Sound good? All right. And the Lord said, I indeed have seen the abuse of my people that is in Egypt, and its outcry because of its taskmasters. I have heard, for I know its pain. And I have come down to rescue it from the hand of Egypt and to bring it up from that land to a goodly and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. I'm just going to stop right there for a second, just to point out a couple of interesting things. Remember a couple weeks ago, I preached on crying out to God, and we were trying to figure out as the Israelites cried out, what was it that God was paying attention to? Well, here's our response. He says, I have heard their pain. I know what's going on, and I'm responding to that outcry. So this is where God starts this conversation with Moses to sort of say, I'm paying attention to what has been happening so far in this story. And then this wonderful thing where God says, I have come down to bring them up. Isn't that a nice picture? God coming down to bring his people up. Let's continue. And now look, the outcry of the Israelites has come to me, and I've also seen, I also see the oppression with which the Egyptians oppose them. And now go that I may send you to Pharaoh and bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring out the Israelites from Egypt? And he said, For I will be with you, and this is the sign for you that I myself have sent you when you bring the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, look, when I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I will be who I will be. And he said, thus shall you say to the Israelites, has sent me to you. And God said further to Moses, thus shall you say to the Israelites, the Lord, God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, sent me to you. That is my name forever, and thus I am invoked in all ages. Go and gather the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers has appeared to me, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying... I have taken note of what is done to you in Egypt, and I have said, I will bring you up from the abuse of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Sounds sticky. We'll talk about that later. (laughs) And they will heed your voice, and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and together you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, happened upon us. Is that sometimes how God works? He just happens upon you happened upon us, and so let us go pray pray three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And I, on my part, know that the king of Egypt will not let you go except through a strong hand, and I will send out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, that, and I shall do this in his midst, and afterwards he will send you out. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people so that when they leave you, you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing which you will put on your sons and daughters and you will plunder the Egyptians. Just stop right there for one second. God told Abraham that, that was going to happen. If you go back to our Genesis series, he said, Abraham, when the Israelites are leaving that land of Egypt, they will plunder the land. They will take these goods with it. And Moses answered and said, but look, they will not believe me nor will they heed my voice for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff, and he said, fling it to the ground. And he flung it to the ground, and it became a snake, and Moses fled from it. It's a good response, yeah? Um, and the Lord said to Moses, reach out, grasp its tail. And he reached out his hand and held it, and it became a staff in his grip. So that they will believe that the Lord God of the fathers, and the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. But the Lord said further to him, bring, pray, your hand into your bosom. It can also be translated garment. And he put his hand back into his bosom and brought it out. And look, his hand was blanched like snow. And he said, put your hand back into your bosom. Moses probably did that pretty quick. And he put his hand back into his bosom and brought it out. And look, it became back like its own flesh. And so they should not believe you, should they not believe you, and should they not heed the voice of the first sign, they will believe the voice of the second sign. And should it be that they do not believe even both these signs and did not heed your voice, you shall take of the water of the Nile and pour it on the dry land, and the water that you take from the Nile will become blood on dry land. And Moses said, please, my Lord, no man of words am I. Not at any time in the past, nor now, 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 since you've spoken to your servant. I love this verse. Please, Lord, no man of words am I, not at any time in the past, nor now, since you've spoken to your servant. I just demonstrated that, by the way. For I am heavy-mouthed and heavy-tongued. And the Lord said to him, Who gave man a mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or sighted or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And now go, and I myself will be with your mouth. And will instruct you what to say. And he said, Please, my Lord, send, please, by the hand of him you would send. We're going to talk about this in a minute. And the wrath of the Lord flared up against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, the Levite, your brother? I know that he can indeed speak. And what's more, look, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, his heart will rejoice. And you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I myself will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will instruct you both what you should do. And he will speak for you to the people. And so he, he will be a mouth for you. And you, you will be for him like a God. And this staff, you shall take in your hand with which you will do the signs. Their ends are reading for today. The uh, translation I'm using, by the way, is Robert Alter's translation from the five books of Moses. And it keeps some of the Hebraisms into the text, into our English, a little bit better than maybe the NIV does. Um, but either text or version, whatever you're using is fine. I just wanted to let you know where that comes from if it didn't match up with your NIV which stands for the New International Version, Uh, but we could joke the nearly inerrant version, right? It's almost the right translation. I was joking. It's great. I use it all the time. Okay, so the title of this message is I Object. So Moses is going to go through a series of objections as God starts to say, here's what I need you to do. I'm going to send you out, and Moses is going to start with I Object. And he's going to go through a series, so let's look at what Moses' objections are, and we'll see if we could maybe, I don't know, commiserate with Moses in the middle of this flaming bush that's not actually being consumed moment. He starts, his first objection is, who am I? Like, who am I that you would ask me to do this? And the text really, Moses says to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring out the Israelites from Egypt. Why are you picking me? I'm no one special. Who am I? Why should I even do this? And what's God's answer to him? God says, I will be with you. Well, that's not really an answer to the question, is it? Moses starts with, who am I? And God's response is, I'll be with you. Is it perchance because Moses is asking the wrong question. He's going to try a second question, which I think might be a better question to start with. But his objection here to start in this first objection is who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring out the Israelites from Egypt. It's a little bit too compounded right it's like not just who am I like I'm no one special why should you be picking on me I'm just the shepherd out in the desert I was just with my sheep there was this weird bush thing I just walked over I don't know why I'm involved in this but who am I and then the second part of his objection here is that I should do this that I'm going to do this great amazing thing where I'm going to actually help rescue an entire people the Israelites out from Egypt so these two questions, who am I as this individual? What's my character? Who am I? Why would you pick me? And, and why pick me to do this thing? Why pick me to do this big rescue? Have you ever felt that way before? Have you ever felt like, who am I? Why is God picking me? Why is he asking me to do this thing? And this thing is too big. It's too important. It's too significant. Pick somebody else. I'm going to mess it up. Right? I don't know if um, maybe physicians with any humility, like a surgeon, might feel that way every once in a while, right? Like you're starting to, maybe you just, you get over it, that's what medical school's for, but I would just, have every moment, I'd be like, I can't believe I'm actually doing this, right? Like all of a sudden, you have this moment where I just walk around, I'm just going to, you know, open up this person's chest. I imagine physicians in the room, you get used to it, right? But is there not that moment of humility, at least back in medical school, where you're like, Who am I (laughs) that I should be given this scalpel and start to open this person up and, yeah, no, no? Or if you're a teacher, who am I that I should start to reach into the hearts and lives of these young ones? Who am I that, I mean, I shouldn't be doing this? Or a parent, any parent has thought to themselves, I'm totally going to screw this up. You've thought, yeah, yeah yesterday what five minutes ago for me right so you have this moment where you're like who am I that I would even think that I can parent a little one and keep them safe for more than five minutes I can barely keep track of my dog right so if you have a dog maybe you've only allowed yourself a goldfish And that's why you've decided that you're not prepared for parenthood at all. That there's a humility moment of who am I that I would do this and that I would do this great thing. And God's response is to really not listen to Moses' objection. He doesn't say, oh, Moses, you're a great guy. Don't worry. I totally made you for this moment. He doesn't beef him up and give him a little bit of stroke of the ego. He doesn't, you know, sit down and do his Myers-Briggs to show him how he's exactly set out for exactly this moment and task. No, I have exactly, here's your Enneagram, right? Or, you know, you're more of this kind of animal versus this kind. Of, he doesn't try to boost up Moses, explain while it's okay. He just says, oh, it's okay, I'll be with you. That's, that's it, I'll be with you. That's it, I'll be with you. And so Moses' response is really like this, I'm not worthy response, isn't it? He just can't, he just cannot manage this moment. We're not worthy. Go, right? We're like, not worthy. We're not worthy. We're yeah, we so for those of us who grew up 80s, 90s, Wayne's world, we're not worthy, right? Like God asks us to do this big thing. And oftentimes our first response is, we're not worthy. We can't do this big thing. And then God sort of says, you know, maybe, maybe this isn't the right question. I'm just going to answer with like, I'll be with you. So then Moses is like, ah, maybe that was the wrong question. Let me try again. So he's going to ask a different question. Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring out these rites? And God says, I will be with you. This is the sign for you that I myself have sent you. And when you bring your people out of Egypt, you shall worship on the God on this mountain. By the way, really quick, we don't really know what the sign is. Can you tell from the text what the sign is? No, it's Ambiguous. So that's a comfort, right? So Moses is getting the, don't worry. you know He's not getting any like boosting up or explanation. He's just getting, I'll be with you, and here's this ambiguous sign. So is the sign, I'll be with you, that's the sign? Or is the sign that I'll be with you that I've said, is, is the sign that you will later on bring your people back to this mountain? And if that's the sign, like the NIV puts a nice colon, in, like here's the sign, colon, they will bring you back to this mountain. But the ancient Hebrew text does not have that punctuation mark there is no by the way this is what that it doesn't you no know, we can all discuss and debate it in the rabbis out but but there's no and by the way and so if that's the sign that's not going to happen for a long time so that's not really helpful that's not comforting in the moment so Moses tries a different question he says I object right who are you this is his second objection and he's going to say Moses says to God okay look when I come to the Israelites I say to them the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they say what's his name then what shall I say to them And God gives them that beautiful response that Kevin preached on last week. I will be who I will be. At which point Moses is thinking, I don't know if he gets the question-response thing, right? Like, I'm not sure if I'm objecting, and I'm trying to give my objections, and I don't really feel like I'm being heard, right? I'm not, can we sit down? Can you give active listening? Repeat back to me, God, what you think I've said to you. (laughs) Right? Some, right? No? No? little marriage counseling action here? It's like there's something that's being missed in the conversation. But maybe, again, Moses' questions, his objections aren't the right ones. Or they're at least not finding a good footing with God in this moment. But he asks, okay, so if the question isn't, who am I? Maybe the question is, who are you? That's going to be my question. All right. Okay, well, that who am I question didn't work. So who are you? Okay, I'll tell you. I'll be who I will be. A little vague. God, I need a little bit more here. Like, you're asking me to do this big thing, this burning bush. Maybe I just had something bad to eat. I'm not really sure what's happening. Right, so he's going to start with another third objection. And his third objection is, they're not going to believe me. Reasonable objection, don't you think? And have you ever felt this way? Have you ever had this moment either with God or some big moment? If you feel like you're supposed to do this big thing and you're going to go to work or you're going to go to your family and you're going to say, I have to do this big thing. But your first thought is they're not going to believe me. They're not going to believe me. And Moses says this. He said, Moses answers, but look, they're not going to believe me and they're not going to heed my voice for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. Because... He's going to go back to, who am I? That I should have this experience out in the middle of the desert by myself. My wife's probably not even going to believe me. They won't believe me. And really behind that is, they're going to make fun of me. Right? I mean, I'm going to go walk up to a whole bunch of people, and I'm going to say, hey, the Lord appeared to me in this bush that was burning but wasn't consumed. And he told me to take off my shoes, so I did. And then he just said, I'm the one that's going to deliver. Is it you, Moses? out in the, You're the guy that was out? Okay. So they're going to make fun of me. Or maybe saying, this is going to be too hard. They're not going to believe me. I don't have the fortitude, God, to deal with the skepticism that I'm going to encounter with all these people. What you're asking is just too hard. Have you ever felt like that with God? Have you ever thought, I'm going to tell the story about how I had this encounter with God, but no one's going to believe me. And God's asking me this big thing, but it's just too hard. I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. Or maybe he's like, why can't I just stay out here with my sheep? right? Have you ever felt that way? Can't I just stay on the track? My track was very comfortable. I had a good thing going on. You know, me and my family living in this nice house in Silicon Valley. Why do I have to sell everything I own and move to God knows where and do this great thing? What is it that God's asked you to do some big giant thing that you felt like you had to do at some point and you just didn't know and you're saying, well, it's just, maybe it's too hard or why can't I just stay here? Why can't I just stay where it's comfortable? Did you see what happened the last time I tried to help them? Right? That's a good. I, I think Moses is saying they're not going to believe me because the last time I was there, they actually turned me in. Right? They did some difficult stuff, they turned me in. They did all these crazy things. I killed a guy. Why would they believe me? It was bad the last time I was there. And really, ultimately, this is crazy, right? Bush, fire, not burning up. Even I don't believe me and I'm here, right? I mean, ultimately, I think it'd be reasonable on Moses' part to be like, I don't believe this is happening, right? Would you have those moments, you're pinching. No, you're not going to let Moses be human for like two seconds. He's very human in this, so I think we should let him be human. Moses is giving voice to all of the objections that we often give God. That's too hard. It's too big a thing. It's too difficult. No one's going to believe me. I don't believe me. Was I just dreaming? Did I really feel like God said this to me? Do I really feel like God's calling me to do this difficult thing? Whatever that might be. Students who are getting ready to go to college or getting ready to take a new job. Those of us who are in those midst of risky relationships where you just have to start moving it forward. Is God really asking you to do that big thing? And maybe you just don't want to. Maybe it's just easier to stay on the couch, right? Maybe it's just easier to keep going the way that we've always been going and not do the big thing that God's asking me to do. There is a wonderful Christian writer named Anne Lamott, and she likens these messages in our head to a radio station. She calls it something not nice. I won't call it that today in church. But she says this is a radio station with particular call letters that we tune into, and it delivers messages into our heads that aren't the messages that God is trying to deliver. They're not from God, right? It's too hard. It's too difficult. Who am I? They're never going to believe me. Why me? I can't do this great big thing for God. And we start listening to that radio station. That's the one that's playing in our head. And it says things to us that we would never say to another human being, right? It says things to us as we stand in front of the mirror. I can't do that. Look at me. I'm too this. I'm too that. I'm too impatient. I'm too difficult. I'm not smart enough. I'm too fat. I'm too skinny. I'm not fast enough. I'm too slow. I'm all of the, those radio stations in our head that we tune into. I'm going to ask today that what God is doing with this conversation is Moses is asking to listen to a different narrative. He's asking Moses to start believing something different, not only about himself, but about who God is. And maybe the great thing isn't what the things we can't do or who we are or why we can't do it, but simply standing there and saying, ah, maybe it's enough to just know that God's with us. And it actually has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with Moses. It has everything to do with God. And that's why God's responses to his questions are so beautiful. Who am I? I'll be with you. Who shall I say sent me? Can I have some sort of authority or command over you to kind of control what's happening here in my life? I will be who I will be. Okay. Um, They're not going to believe me. And God actually had already said that they would. But in this case, God loves Moses so much, he sort of says, fine, here's your sign right? Okay, so here's your sign, Moses. We're going to start giving you a couple signs. No one? Here's your sign. All right, so Moses is going to get a couple of signs. The Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? A staff. Fling it to the ground. So he flung it to the ground, and it becomes a snake, and Moses flees. Good move, Moses, right? Now, this wonderful thing that's happening in this moment, the Lord says to him, what's that in your hand? a staff. It is something Moses has always been carrying around. It's not new. He didn't just find it. He didn't pull it off from the magic bush, right? He didn't say, oh, well, this looks like some good wood for some staff. Like, I bet I could really control the sheep with this thing. They will not like the fire that perpetually burns but doesn't burn. This is great. He has had this thing with him all the time, and it's a normal thing. It's an ordinary object. What is it? God just says, maze, what is that in your hand? What is that? It's a staff. All right, fling it to the ground. And he does, and it becomes a snake. Now, this obviously is not an ordinary event. Moses has often, I'm sure, dropped that staff before and has never before turned into a snake. Because in this instance, he runs. He runs fast. So, who's responsible for the sign? God. It's not magic, it's God's power, it's not a special stick that he found at the snake stick turning store, like that's not a thing. He's using the thing that's ordinary. And maybe one of the wonderful questions that we can be asking ourselves is what is it that's ordinary, that we would call ordinary between you and me, that God wants to use? And start to imbue with God's power and purpose, an ordinary thing. That we have, we don't look on it any differently. We've been carrying it around with us. But all of a sudden, God's going to start using it for great good in this world. What's the thing that you and I think is ordinary that God's going to start to use? And that's what God does. And maybe Moses is pretty ordinary too. But God's going to start to use him in some pretty amazing ways. Well, after Moses flees from the stick, God says, reach out your hand and grasp its tail. Now, this is a lot of faith, isn't it? Is the tail a good place to grab a snake? Remember every Animal Planet show you've ever seen, right? No, you don't grab a a snake by the tail. Or a take by the snail. You don't do that either. You don't grab a snake by the tail. But Moses does this. So even though he's objecting, even though he's having that moment of challenge, he's still demonstrating some faith. All right, talking bush told me, grab the snake by the tail. I'm totally going to do that. He does. And it becomes a staff again in his grip. And God says so they will believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Here's a sign. Here's a sign, Moses. And maybe that's giving Moses some confidence, too. Like, wow, that was pretty cool. Like, I'm going to pull that out at the next dinner party. Hey, guys, check this out, right? It'll be hilarious. We'll watch everyone run. And then I'll grab the thing, and it'll pop right. up. great, you know? What's in your hand is just that ordinary question. It's an ordinary thing that we've been carrying around with us for a long time. What is there? The staff is ordinary. The transformation is shocking to Moses. He doesn't know what to do with it. And God is the one that imbues it with power. And the staff in Egypt, the staff had all this extra symbolism. The staff or rod in ancient Egypt was a symbol of royal authority. So as Moses is going to walk in with this staff that does this amazing stuff, he's walking in with a symbol of God's authority, God's rule, God's reign. And this divine battle is starting to get set up between God, the ruler of the universe and everything, and Pharaoh, a man who claims to be divine. And this snake the patron cobra goddess of lower Egypt, the Uraeus, was worn on the head, and the snake was emblematic of divinely protected sovereignty, and it served as a menacing symbol of death dealt to enemies of the crown, according to the JPS Torah commentary for Exodus. And Moses gets to start walking in to that space of Egypt with this type of symbol in his hand. But again, it's not something he's doing himself. This is something that God has given him, that God is transforming it. The transformation is shocking to Moses. It's an ordinary thing, and God is starting to use it in powerful and extraordinary ways. And we find these types of snake symbols all throughout ancient Egypt. Here's another one. Isn't that kind of look how you've always pictured it in your head? But this is in the Louvre, and it's a bronze snake found from ancient Egypt that was used for magician stuff. This will come into play shortly. Yeah? read a little further ex- Exodus there's another powerful symbol though behind this snake thing that one of the reasons why Moses might be fleeing it's calling back to our minds Genesis chapter 3 where Adam and Eve yeah talked to a snake they didn't eat an apple by the way it just says fruit we don't know what kind of fruit it was and they talked to this snake and they both partake of this fruit and maybe there's something that God's calling to mind saying remember that snake remember that serpent remember how things went really bad after you ate the fruit and you listened to this snake guess what I'm in control of that snake now. And there's going to be a moment where we're going to walk into Egypt and we're going to be walking in with the authority of God. And that snake's not going to wield the same type of power that it used to. Maybe. All right, second sign Moses gets. White as snow. The Lord says to him further, bring, pray, your hand into your bosom. He brings his hand back into his bosom and brings it out and says, look, the hand is blanched like snow. And he says, put your hand back in your bosom. He puts it back into his bosom and brings it out. And look, it became back like its own flesh. Now, this phrasing, blanched like snow, white like snow, blanched like snow, it is often translated, mistranslated as leprous, right? Leprosy. Anyone in your Bible, did you ever think Moses got actual, like, Hansen's disease right here? It's not likely that that's it. The word here has a much more broader range than just leprosy. It's more like skin condition. And here it's translated blanched like snow. So Moses has this kind of crazy experience. He's like, dang, I don't know what just happened. Can we dry it again? Go back And then probably the whole way home, he's like, oh, I want, nope. Right? Like just like just in case. I'm not I'm not gonna do that just in case it sticks, right? So Moses has this moment where he has this incredible transformation. What's behind this sign? The book of Numbers might give us a clue. Maybe. Do you remember? And I'm just gonna talk about it, and you can go look it up in Numbers chapter twelve. Do you remember? Aaron and Miriam are gonna speak against Moses because they're upset that he marries another wife. Maybe they're they're gossiping, they're having some challenging conversation and and God's going to get angry and for some reason unexplained by me or the text Miriam's the only one that seems to get in trouble so we'll just have to trust that she was the instigator because Aaron is just simply shocked by it all but Miriam the same phrasing becomes blanched like snow it's the same phrasing so perhaps there's something in this sign that has to do with divine punishment and maybe that's a sign for the Egyptians that God is paying attention and that divine punishment is on its way Maybe it's a little bit to Moses of like, hey, ho, careful now. I did tell you that they would listen, and now you're telling me that they won't listen. I am telling you to go, and you're kind of arguing back a little bit, so let's just remember who's in charge here and that there's some power involved. But this phrasing is that we don't know for sure, but that's, this is the sign, and it has some resonance in our text. The second sign is a payback sign. Payback, man. And so, should they not believe you, and should they not heed the voice, it says in Hebrew, of the first sign, they will believe the voice of the second sign. And should it be that they don't even believe the, bo- the voice of these signs and don't heed your voice, you shall take, out, take of the water of the Nile, pour it on the dry land, and the water that you take from the Nile will become blood on dry land. What is this sign? Well, first of all, let's just note that Moses is going to have to trust that this is something that can happen because he's not in Egypt when he gets this instruction. I don't know, maybe the first thing he does when he gets back to Egypt, is go, excuse me, just a minute, I'm just going to check out some Nile. All right, oh, that's pretty cool. But he doesn't know for sure that this is a sign that's going to be manifested, right? He can't see it right there in that moment. Well, what is going on? Well, maybe God is reminding us of that when Cain killed Abel, that the blood cries out from the ground. And just as Pharaoh had commanded all the Hebrew baby boys to be killed in the Nile, that God is going to be giving them a reminder of as that water comes up and gets poured out, that the blood itself will now cry out from the ground. God is calling to account the loss of those lives. He has not forgotten and he has paid attention. Now, those are the signs that Moses gets. Those are pretty good signs. They're signs that speak heavily to the Egyptians. I've watched you kill innocents, and I'm paying attention, and I'm going to call account for their blood. But wouldn't that also be a comforting sign for the mothers that lost their children? God paid attention. My child's blood was not spilt without divine notice. And God has paid attention, and this is a sign that he is present and with us, that he is going to call to account that loss. Now Moses gets those signs, and this is his response. I object. I'm a terrible spokesperson. I can't do this at all. I'm terrible at this. You really, you need to talk to somebody else. So Moses says, please, Lord, no man of words am I, not at any time in the past. And in case you were marking this, God, nor now since you've spoken to your servant. So you've done all these magic signs. That's been great. I still stink. Like there's no been no transformation in me. You did that nice thing with my stick. Thank you very much. My hand. That was scary. I got it back. Thank you very much. Okay, I'll have to believe the third one. But guess what? I am still a terrible spokesperson. I haven't been transformed. I'm not changed. I'm still this. And we don't know exactly what his issue is, We don't know if he stutters. We don't know if he's upset that he's forgotten the Egyptian language because he's been gone so long and he's just going to, you know, it's going to be really awkward when he tries to order coffee because he's going to use the wrong word. We don't know what Moses is saying here, right? But he says, I'm heavy mouthed and heavy tongued. I can't do it. I'm terrible at this. Now, God starts to get a little less patient. And he reminds Moses in no uncertain terms who he is. Who gave man a mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or sighted or blind? Moses, you're, you're this, I know who you are. You're this way. I created you. Is it not I, the Lord? And now go and I myself will be with your mouth. And I will instruct you what to say. Isn't that a hilarious phrasing? I'll be with your mouth. Have you ever asked God to be with your mouth? I am going to start praying that all the time. God be with my mouth, right? Just stop right now and just pray that right now. God be with my mouth. This is wonderful because God doesn't say, oh, I had no idea you were heavy tongued and heavy mouthed." He's like, I know who you are. I made you. I will be with your mouth. Who made you? I made you. And Moses's final objection is something along the lines of, dear God, no. And he says, and this is the best English rendering, I think, please, my Lord, send, please, by the hand of him, you would send, right? So he points out that he's not quite eloquent, Is this good? Right? It sounds a little bit awkward in the Hebrew, too. He's just like, God, please. And Moses says, please, my Lord, send, please. It's like a little begging word in there. Send, please. By the hand of the one you're going to send. Like, just send anybody else. Which is hilarious, because God clearly can send anybody he wants, and he's picked Moses, and he's sending Moses, and he's used that word quite a bit. And now God's going to get a little bit angry, and he says, and the wrath of the Lord, and literally it's that God's nose got blew out like there's breath coming out of god's nose flares up against moses he's like you know heavy breathing and he says is there not aaron the Levite, your brother i know that he indeed can speak and what's more look he's coming out to meet you when he sees you his heart will rejoice and you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth and i myself will be with your mouth and with his mouth and i'll instruct you both what you should do and he will speak for you to the people, and so he will be a mouth for you, and you will be for him like a God. So with this final objection, God really just says, keep calm and focus on my spokesperson. Right? Moses, it's okay. Keep calm. I am with you. I'm going to give you the words. Then you can give those words to Aaron, and then Aaron, this is the worst game of telephone ever, right? But it's happening. It's, or maybe it's the best game of telephone ever. God is going to be with their mouths, and they will speak. And God's kind of just taken Moses and all of his objections, everything that he can think of, and he silenced it. I will be with you, and you need to go. God, please send anyone else. Please, God, dear God, no, not me. Anyone else, please. Have you ever thought that? Please, God, anyone else. Please send anyone else to do this thing. Please give this hard thing to anyone else not me. I can't do it, not me. If you've thought that, you're in good company. And the wonderful thing about our text is that Moses is not the central character of the story. God is. And the wonderful thing about our lives is that we are not the central characters of our stories. God is the central character of our story. And God finishes with, and this staff you shall take in your hand, and with With which you will do the signs. And now, Moses, you are given the power and the authority to go and do extraordinary things with something very ordinary. You will do these signs. Moses starts this whole conversation with Who am I? Who am I that I would even be called to do this? And God says, That's not the right question. The right question is Who is the Lord? who is the Lord that he can do this? He will be who he will be. He will go with us as we go. He is the one who is taking ordinary things and making them extraordinary. He's the one that knows the culture that we live in, knows the culture of the Egyptians, knows the culture of the Israelites, and takes the signs that mean something to them and take those ordinary signs and imbues those with different explanations, different symbolisms and real power and this is what he can do for you and me so the next time we sit in front of the mirror the next time we hear something maybe we have this great idea for something beautiful god's asking us to do we're going to go and build a home for children someplace we're going to try as a community build spark cafe and be good all week long we're going to do all of these things and we think to ourselves who are we that we're going to do this amazing little big thing and then we'll just say but who is the lord the lord can do this he can do this because it's nothing to do with you and me. And don't you want to be part of the fun? We'll miss out if we don't pick up the staff and go. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, Lord, so much for this opportunity to study your word and to see that in your text you use ordinary to do extraordinary, that you are patient with our objections, and that above all, you will be with us and you will be who you will be. You are in charge, Lord. And so today we stand before you, we learn from our brother Moses, and we say, all right, Lord, we'll go. We'll go where you need to send us. And Lord, we might not be doing any magical, amazing, big things like rescuing entire people. But Lord, we ask that you would enable each one of us to bring rescue into our lives and into the lives of at least one other. Because of who you are, not because of who we are. Amen.